Welcome to the Investment Matters podcast from Newton Investment Management. This podcast is intended for UK, US, Canadian, Australian and New Zealand institutional investors only. You can listen to important regulatory disclosures at the end of this podcast. The Investment Matters podcast was recorded in line with current government guidelines around social distancing. We apologise for any issues in recording quality. Welcome to Investment Matters, the Newton Investment Podcast. I'm Matt Goodburn from the Investment Communications team. Uh, and today I'm joined once again by two portfolio managers within the fixed income team. That's Scott Friedman and Trevor Holder. We're going to talk a bit more now about um, sustainable bonds. And obviously it's a big growth area and one that we're very interested in. Um, we've seen, Scott, over the last few months, uh, a sort of acceleration of perhaps green initiatives we've seen in the UK budget, we've seen the green gilts, we've seen uh, plenty of activity in uh, the European Union as well. And obviously, we've also now seen um, change of administration in the US. So if we could just start really by talking about what uh, those opportunities that you've seen in, in these new initiatives over the last few months, and the sort of things that w- would interest us uh, as investors that you're seeing there, and where you think we can find good opportunities. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, and I think I suppose I start broadly in the, really seeing this, um, what's coming through is this sustainable finance agenda, if you like. And it's, I think it's switching from financing change to beginning to change uh, the finance objective. So I think this links to efforts to really begin to shift the finance system to be more in service of society than it has been in the past. And depending on which label bond, if you like, we're talking about it's green, social, sustainable bonds. I think it's quite a crucial market development, really, in order to focus global efforts. And that's through better capital allocation on improving environmental and social outcomes. And we're beginning to see, and some of the way that some issuers are talking, a real shift in issuers' financial policy to be more closely aligned with their sustainability strategy. So things are accelerating relatively quickly. Um, And that's both across sovereign and corporate space. Um, So uh, just to, obviously close to home, obviously we've seen the UK announce its intention to raise um, a significant amount of uh, green gilts this year. And uh, I think it would be interesting to see how that framework, which is expected to come out in June, how it aligns to what they've already communicated about a 10-point plan for a green industrial revolution. And there are a few elements that we view, we think about how you know, the UK should approach structuring their green guilt as things begin to, you know, as, as standardisation improves and I suppose the, the credentials of these structures and these new types of bonds improve over time. Um, so just to touch on that, I think the government should really set up a credible and future-thinking green guilt structure. And what does that mean? Well, I think it's about Looking for, we, we, investors are looking for strong accountability, that assurance and strong level of reporting that comes out from governments. Um, so you know, ultimately you should have a very clear prescribed use of proceeds, which projects are they, the proceeds selected for and why. Um, don't have specifically uh, long periods of refinanceability, so it can't be projects from five, six years ago that can be refinanced with this new debt. So it's that point of additionality should be as forward-looking as possible on financing new projects. Um, and obviously just that level of reporting, you know, strong accountability about the specific projects, 
the benefits that society is achieving from those and you know, certain KPIs and why they've been chosen, key, certain key performance indicators. Um, the government's quite interestingly also committed to reporting on the social co-benefits of the Green Guild, um, which I think is beginning to be quite a new and game-changing point for green bonds, for example, so you've added social benefits. So again, that, I think the inclusion of that should hopefully begin to raise the bar for future green sovereign issuance. And we have seen many times already, and many countries have already issued green bonds, is that um, the more that labelled bond issuance, and obviously we've seen social bonds within the EU as well, the more you get sovereigns issuing these types of securities, the more the private sector tends to follow suit. And you end up having, if the government has leads with a robust reporting framework, and there's a lot more pressure uh, and accountability on not only uh, the issue is also investors now about the level of reporting, um, but ultimately that should help the corporate and private sector follow suit and set a relatively high standard for, for what we want to see um, disclosed. And then I would touch on the different types of uh, obviously uh, innovations within, I suppose if you want to call it the green, social and sustainable bond market, as it's being more referenced today. We see, continue to see significant growth in green bonds. And that's um, across different geographies and sectors and beginning to move more into a wider range of credit ratings. Sub-investment grade has been, there haven't been many green bonds yet issued, but that's beginning to grow. Um, and again, you know, the, the robustness of the structures is there's beginning to be more um, standardization now, which is good in terms of the bond is issued, uh, uh, aligned with certain frameworks and also the level of reporting expected is beginning to be more standardized, uh, which should help the continued growth of the market. Social bonds, I think you know, COVID, as we talked about already, has really given a good uh, um, boost to this part of the market, led by, obviously, um, sovereigns and from the EU shore bond structure, for example. But uh, we're con continuing to see more. And I think the reason it's lagged green bonds is that uh, data quality is still relatively limited. And I think it's even harder within a, maybe a more uh, qualitative and quantitative part that kind of social impacts tend to be. So, um, and, and the EU is already working on a social bond taxonomy. So I think we continue to expect to see improvements and growth in that space. S uh, sustainable bonds, where you have a, a security that delivers both green and social benefits. But I think one thing that uh, is really interesting, and I can expect to see significant growth in, is the sustainability linked bond market um, that only really saw the first issue in uh, the end of last year and this is where you have rather than a specific set of projects that the, the the bond is funding as in a green or social bond you actually have a, a, a more holistic and broader um, certain targets that are set by a company as a whole but it can obviously be I suppose ultimately come to the, the sovereign space in time in this but clearly what you end up there with is senior management of a company being accountable to certain, whether it's environmental or social targets, for example, for improvement and a transition. Um, and therefore, if they are not meeting those targets by a certain date, there is a coupon step. So the interest cost increases, uh, costing the company uh, more in terms of interest uh, interest costs. So what you have here is a structure where there's accountability and reputational risk for senior management team. Actually, you have a covenant, certainly an investment grade, there, you know, covenants are hard to come by. And obviously with the leverage finance, 
covenant quality is relatively poor, but at least you have a covenant to certain meet certain targets that enables companies that might not have, maybe not to any fault of their own, or that they might not be big enough for a liquid bond, but also the areas of for companies in some of the more the higher emitting sectors to actually begin to have a good transition story and have robust uh, KPIs set and targets there set in motion to really help fund the transition. So I think sustainability-linked bonds and the breadth uh, that can be applied to certain areas, companies and sectors, uh, can actually really help drive um, the funding of, of the transition that ultimately the world will ultimately benefit from. Another interesting um, tool that bondholders have in this space, which is, has existed for a while, is development agency bonds. And they are an important clearly important source of development finance. They leverage their cross-country partnerships to support economic, environmental and social outcomes. Um, and they work to make sure the needs of the most vulnerable are met. Uh, therefore, in most cases, their bonds can be regarded as being for environmental and or social purposes and generally have a high credit quality as well. So in terms of uh, uh, building a portfolio of these types of securities, obviously development agency bonds give you that high credit quality element as well at the same time as really um, funding important environmental and social outcomes. Obviously, you've talked about sustainability linked bonds and it's been quite a slow start. You've talked about that need for sort of greater regulation around making sure that people stick to their guns and, and do what they're supposed to do. Is that something where, you know, you could have a, an impact in sort of trying to drive change or sort of greater regulation? Is this something that you look at? Our view, and certainly when we engage with issuers, um, it should really be up to the issuer because obviously there's depending on obviously we have our own taxonomy we use in terms of material ESG risks depending on the sector um, it should be up to the company or the sovereign to effectively highlight why they've chosen certain KPIs obviously you can you can kind of uh, group around certain expected levels of disclosure and targets that should be set for certain sectors um, and I suppose the regulations will help here. We've got, obviously got the EU taxonomy, which is very current in terms of how that's obviously ultimately uh, the criteria that are being set. Um, we also need to be careful not to be too prescriptive because uh, we need to recognise that a lot of transition um, needs to occur and a lot of companies allow them the, the breadth to be able to come move from where they are today to, to a better standing on that side. So I think regulations absolutely are critical to help drive improvement and also at the very least to get companies to think about having a, a broader ESG plan as a starting point. Um, and I think one area that will help also, I suppose, drive some standardization in terms of what KPIs we expect to see is um, more, I suppose, collaboration between different investors. So obviously it's quite a lot already in the equity market in terms of uh, bodies where, where investors collaborate with each other. Um, and there, there are growing um, uh, noises within fixed income um, that recognising at least that that should be also something that can help uh, drive issuers in, in a more kind of positive trajectory that we'd like to see. But I don't think we should be reinventing the wheel and I, uh, in terms of from a fixed income uh, universe perspective versus equities. There's a lot, and obviously within Newton, we work very closely with our equity colleagues, and there's a lot of benefits that can be had from... Um, the collaboration within the equity investment universe also bringing in fixed income because certainly from an ESG perspective we generally want the same things from issuers obviously whether from a purely financial perspective equity investors and fixed income investors are looking for different things 
But from an ESG point of view, I think actually bringing both sides together can actually really, I suppose, um, ultimately affect change uh, faster than through, the, through that in, engagement point. But regulations, I think, will continue to uh, increase. And I suppose that will also drive, help drive issues down certain levels of expected behaviour and standardisation, certainly bringing in, as you mentioned already, I suppose, uh, obviously with the change in the US administration, the US is already looking very closely to Europe in terms of what they're doing in the EU taxonomy. And I suppose we can more broadly in terms of other parts of the world, um, I think we'll continue to see the pace of growth accelerate from here. Okay, thanks, Scott. And, and I guess finally in this area, um, and I know you've talked about this before, is obviously for, for quite a while now, we've been sort of asking questions about ESG-related topics when you meet issuers um, about what their intentions are. Um, do you get a sense that there's still maybe not enough of those, those ESG-related questions being asked by but by people when they're looking to, to to new issues, do you think that's something that's getting better? Do you think there's still room for improvement there, more generally across fixed income markets? In in terms of our the presentations we see from issuers now, there's always a token ESG slide, but that obviously can be just coming from the communications team ultimately. Uh, so you obviously we need to drill a lot deeper than that. Um, the meetings we have with companies, um, I'm still surprised um, to the extent to which. Uh, peers are not asking um, some even more straightforward ESG questions and certain material risks facing the company. Um, and we are told even good examples re recently and certainly issues that have been in uh, the market for you know, at least 10 years, that they're still, you know, this is, they're experiencing questions from us today that we've not really had from bond investors before. So I'm still quite surprised about the extent to which maybe some of the questions aren't being asked given the extent to which people are saying they're doing this work. Um, but we are, I am seeing, though, that in companies generally are becoming much better at being able to answer the questions. And even that goes down into leverage finance in terms of private companies, uh, companies that don't have that much resource in this space. And that's something we need to kind of be mindful of, that you know, we don't, they don't necessarily have a team of five, ten people purely looking at sustainability. But again, in it is a journey, and that's where we think kind of having that kind of holistic perspective about really trying to find those um, transition improvement stories um, actually should should ultimately find some really good investment opportunities um, because uh, I think all stakeholders are realizing that there's more accountability now um, uh, to society from uh, pure E, S, and G uh, perspectives. And that that's something that they're going to have to continue to, uh, it would not be able to ignore. One area um, that's quite interesting is that obviously a lot of time um, clients like to see uh, examples of engagement um, for influence. And that is something that we're very much involved with. Um, we use our responsible investment team to help us with as well. Um, but it shouldn't always be about influence, certainly within companies that are only really beginning to raise their game. Engagement for insight is quite is imp as important to us as engagement for influence. So it's not just about saying we've able to push this company a certain way and, and, and enabled this change to happen, benefiting everybody. It's also about really gaining the insight, which is very important from financial perspective um, in terms of managing ESG risks, but actually helping highlight to a company anyway the types of questions they should be able to answer. Thanks, Scott. Um I'll just bring that 
briefly back to Trevor. Um, I know we've talked before about um, the different E, S and G elements of sustainable investing. So um, could you just talk us through how the, the G part is perhaps most influential in um, shaping some of the some of the investments we have in emerging markets? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I mean, the, the, um, the whole sort of um, direction for um, sovereign sustainability, well, and, and, and debt sustainability really kind of um, begins with um, governance. Um, obviously, the, uh, the, the institutional setting um, that the administration in charge establishes. Um, governance indices are um, by far the most correlated um you know out of the, the sort of e s and g inputs um in terms of correlations with um credit ratings and credit spreads um and so the direction of policy making that's captured by governance indicators really sort of um leads to um potential incremental improvements in terms of environmental policy um, and social outcomes as well, um, or, or in some cases, sadly, um, the reverse. Um, and particularly when you're looking at the emerging market space, you can get um, very binary outcomes depending on um, which administration um, takes the reins. Um, and so we, we look at uh, really, a, we look at the absolute rankings of sovereigns um, with respect to ES and G metrics um, and then also um, place considerable emphasis on um, the trend um, over an extended period and a five-year cycle is our preference because that sort of captures a, um, a full election cycle so um, as I say so um, acknowledging the fact that um, outcomes can be very binary um, dependent on um, election outcomes um, but given given the uh, the importance of governance of driving ES and G, um, E and S outcomes and also correlations, as I said, with um, with ratings and, um, and debt sustainability and spreads, um, we do feel it's important to um, to skew um, your sovereign sustainability analysis towards um, governance indices. Okay, I think we'll leave it there for today. Um, I'd just like to thank my guests. That's uh, Scott and Trevor. Um, and we'll join you all again soon. Please note the following important information. Your capital may be at risk. The value of investments and the income from them can fall as well as rise and investors may not get back the original amount invested. This podcast is a financial promotion. Material in this podcast is for general information only. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Newton and should not be construed as investment advice or recommendations for any purchase or sale of any specific security or commodity. Any reference to a specific country or sector should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell in this country or sector. Compared to more established economies, the value of investments in emerging markets may be subject to greater volatility due to differences in generally accepted accounting principles or from economic or political instability, or less developed market practices. Where a portfolio has exposure to hedge funds, gold, private equity and property via publicly quoted transferable securities, there are additional risks associated with these sectors. 
This podcast is issued by Newton Investment Management Limited, the Bank of New York Mellon Centre, 160 Queen Victoria Street, London, EC4V4LA, registered in England, number 01371973. Newton Investment Management is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, 12 Endeavour Square, London, E21JN and is a subsidiary of the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation. Newton and or the Newton Investment Management brand refers to Newton Investment Management Limited. Newton is registered with the SEC as an investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. Newton's investment business is described in form ADV Part 1 and 2, which can be obtained from the sec.gov website or obtained upon request. Personnel of certain of our BNY Mellon affiliates may act as 1. Registered representatives of BNY Mellon Securities Corporation in its capacity as a registered broker-dealer to offer securities. 2. Officers of the Bank of New York Mellon, a New York chartered bank, to offer bank-maintained collective investment funds. And 3. Associated persons of BNY Mellon Securities Corporation in its capacity as a registered investment advisor to offer separately managed accounts managed by BNY Mellon investment management firms, including Newton. Certain information contained herein is based on outside sources believed to be reliable, but their accuracy is not guaranteed. Unless you are notified to the contrary, the products and services mentioned are not insured by the FDIC or by any governmental entity and are not guaranteed by or obligations of the Bank of New York or any of its affiliates. The Bank of New York assumes no responsibility for the accuracy or completeness of the above data and disclaims all expressed or implied warranties in connection therewith. Copyright 2020, The Bank of New York Company, Inc. All rights reserved. In Canada, Newton Investment Management Limited is availing itself of the international advisor exemption in the following provinces. Alberta, British Columbia, Ontario and Quebec, and the Foreign Commodity Trading Advisor Exemption in Ontario. The International Advisor Exemption is in compliance with National Instrument 31-103, Registration Requirements, Exemptions and Ongoing Registrant Obligations. In Australia and New Zealand, this podcast is for Australian wholesale clients and New Zealand wholesale investors only and is not intended for distribution to, nor should it be relied upon by, retail clients. This information has not been prepared to take into account the investment objectives, financial objectives, or particular needs of any particular person. Before making an investment decision, you should carefully consider, with or without the assistance of a financial advisor, whether such an investment strategy is appropriate in light of your particular investment needs, objectives and financial circumstances. Newton Investment Management Limited is exempt from the requirement to hold an Australian financial services licence in respect of the financial services it provides to wholesale clients in Australia and is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority of the UK under UK laws, which differ from Australian laws. Newton Investment Management Limited is authorised and regulated in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority, 12 Endeavour Square, London, E21JN.
Newton is providing financial services to wholesale clients in Australia in reliance on ACIC Corporation's Repeal and Transitional Instrument 2016 forward slash 396, a copy of which is on the website of the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, www.asic.gov.au. The instrument exempts entities that are authorised and regulated in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority, such as Newton, from the need to hold an Australian financial services licence under the Corporations Act 2001 for certain financial services provided to Australian wholesale clients on certain conditions. Financial services provided by Newton are regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority under laws and regulatory requirements of the United Kingdom, which are different to the laws applying in Australia. Newton is providing financial services to wholesale investors in New Zealand in reliance on the Safe Harbour regime under the Financial Markets Conduct Act 2013, Schedule 1, Part 3.